Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. When uh, Pastor Ben asked me to uh, preach on this text about Jesus being the Good Shepherd, first thing I did was message my sister who lives in Virginia because her family raises sheep along with uh, Blank Angus cattle. And uh, she, she lives in Virginia, but it's as far west in Virginia as you can get before you cross into West Virginia. And uh, she married into a family that has been there a very long time. Uh, the original deed was written on a calfskin about 1780. And the log cabin that they live in that has been restored was built probably in the middle 1800s. And there's other buildings on the farm as well. But uh, they raise uh, sheep. And so I asked her about sheep stories, if she had any funny sheep stories that she could share with me. And in a conversation that we had a little bit later as we had a family chat, she basically said, no, I don't have any funny stories about sheep. And then she told me several. (laughs) But one of the things that she said that was uh, very ironic, if you will, was that uh, sheep are always looking for a way to die. Uh, You you can hear the the frustration in her voice that uh, sheep are uh, fragile in many ways. Uh, She said that in the spring when it's lambing season, they bring the ewes up to the house in a pen where they're close by so that if they get in trouble, her husband Lee can, can help them with the delivery. But she says in the morning, we let the sheep out and the, the sheep Sometimes they find the gate open very easily and and move out. Uh, Sometimes the lambs can't find the gate and they kind of get crosswise back and forth. And and, and sometimes the the mother sheep simply forget about their babies and just go off with a a flock. And when they come back in the the evening, their babies have been in the pen and they're kind of crying and laying down. And uh, the, the mothers come back and look at them and say, oh, there's my sheep. There's my lamb. Like, like they forgot all about them. She says they're always looking for a way to die. They're fragile. They're, they're just uh, very um, difficult to take care of sometimes because you never know what crazy thing they're going to get into. And, and so I just wanted to share that with you. You know, uh, the, the metaphor about sheep and shepherds is that people are like sheep too. It seems like we're always looking for a way to die. We, we don't intend to do things wrong. Uh, we live in the moment from time to time like sheep, and, and uh, pretty soon we find ourselves in a situation that uh, is difficult, challenging, and uh, we don't know how we got there, but we're there, and we're trapped, and we're isolated and alone, and, and we just don't know what to do until someone comes and finds us and brings us home. So our series uh, that we've been in is about One Way Jesus, and uh, the question that Jesus asks his disciples is, who do you say that I am? And we've been looking at uh, what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John, uh, his identity, his purpose, his mission, and we've looked at the fact that uh, Jesus is the bread of life, uh, that he's the one that sustains us, that he is the light of the world. Uh, that, that he is the one that pushes back the darkness uh, through which we can see and have light, and that he is the door, as Pastor Mark uh, told us, uh, shared with us wonderfully uh, last week. And this week we're going to continue in the Gospel of John at chapter 10 as we look at Jesus the Good Shepherd. 
And, and so starting at verse 11 and through 18, uh, Jesus says this about himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And the first thing that he talks about is shepherds that are not shepherds. In verse 12, he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You see, the contrast that Jesus makes in this passage is not between mediocre shepherds and the good shepherd, but rather between hired hands who are not shepherds and the good shepherd. And uh, we need to keep in mind that um, shepherds in the time of Jesus are held in very low esteem. When it comes to legal matters, they can't bring testimony because they are unclean, because they spend all their time with the sheep. They can't participate in religious services because they're out with the sheep and they stink. Uh, and so it is a very difficult life. It is not a career path that people choose. And so to Seek to be employed as a shepherd, to be a hired hand, means that you are already at a low point, uh, that you're kind of uh, destitute and uh, desperate, and you're looking for anything that might sustain your life. And, and, and so they're hired hands. And then because of the relationship between sheep and shepherd, that, that shepherds are able to, to sing a song that the sheep know and that they follow, uh, means that as a hired hand, you really haven't spent all that much time with the sheep, so you don't know that song very well, and the sheep don't know your voice, and so it, it makes it very difficult to lead the sheep, and because of that, you, you probably end up driving the sheep rather than leading them because you don't have that close connection with them anyway. And, and so it's a very difficult situation. You know the mechanics of being a shepherd. You know that you need to bring them to water and to food and those kinds of things, but the actually doing of it, this does not come easy. And so uh, he makes this contrast between hired hands and the good shepherd. Shepherds are leaders who have assignment and responsibility over and with God's people. You see, that's, that's the metaphor that we're talking about. And in the Old Testament, the people that had assignment and responsibility over God's people are the king, the princes, the high priest and the priests, the Levites. And, and in the later um, times, the Pharisees, the rabbis, and the synagogue rulers have that kind of assignment over and with God's people. And yet in Ezekiel 34, there is this 
word of the Lord against those leaders that is brought by Ezekiel against them. Starting in verse 2 through 4, Ezekiel speaks to these kinds of leaders and says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not uh, bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you've not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. You see, these people have responsibility for the sheep. But they don't see them as valued, cherished people of God, but rather as a means to an end, their own end. That they would be well off at the expense of these that are their responsibility. You see, they treat people as resources, things for their own benefit, and do not see people as valuable for who they are as children of the Father. And so they act like hired hands who care nothing for the sheep as sheep, and they go through the motions of tending, and they see sheep as resources for their own benefit, and when the real challenge arrives, they flee. In this chapter 9 of this Gospel of John, we see the man born blind. And he's sitting there on the side of the road begging in his place that he staked out. And he's begging and he's been blind from birth. He's never seen. And the disciples see this person sitting there and their question is this. Did this man sin that he's blind or did his parents sin? And you see, when, when circumstances enter our life, when, when even we get in trouble, when things go wrong, when we find an illness or some kind of adversity in our life, that's our go-to, isn't it? Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? How did I mess up this time? Why is God punishing me? You see, that's the paradigm that we hold in our mind, that if something is going wrong, it means that God is against us that we've messed up again, that we're being condemned and judged. And that's the way the disciples saw this man born blind. But can I tell you, Jesus flips the script. He has a different paradigm, one that we need to enter into. In verse 3, Jesus answered them and said, It is not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I tell you, if you will look at your circumstances not as punishment, not as condemnation, not as judgment, but rather as opportunity for God to move in your life that his power and glory might be manifested, you'll come to a different conclusion about your relationship with the Father. And whatever it is that is going on in your life, God will bring power and glory to himself through it if you'll just place himself yourself in his hands and you see that's a different place to be in one that is much more healthy one that is much more good for us 
And when this man was healed by Jesus, you know what the response of the Pharisees and the leaders of the synagogue were? They questioned him. They examined him. They wanted to know who healed him and how he was healed. And this man couldn't give any answers that satisfied them because they were already in a mindset that was ready to condemn. And so ultimately their response to this great miracle of a man who was blind from birth who can now see is to excommunicate him from the synagogue, to cast him out, to say, you no longer belong to us. That's not being a good shepherd. And yet that's where they go. And there are several stories in the Gospels where Jesus encountered that kind of spirit because they were more interested in finding a way to get Jesus rather than to see the miracle and the glory and the power that he manifested as he healed someone even on the Sabbath in the synagogue. There's a promise in Ezekiel 34. God just doesn't bring condemnation. He brings hope and promise. And the promise is in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. That God is the one who will be our shepherd. When people fail us, God himself will be our shepherd. That God himself will come and seek us. 15 and 16 of that same passage says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The one who gathers us and provisions us, the one who brings justice in our relationships, that's the one who is our shepherd and who is powerful over us. You know, when shepherds don't shepherd in the right way, sheep learn all kinds of bad behavior. And one of the things that is not appropriate that sheep tend to learn when they are being used the way these shepherds were using the sheep is that strength and might make right. But that's a fallacy. You see, when we act like the bully, when we push aside the ones that are weak, when we uh, denigrate and put down the ones that are not like us, and we take what we want and muddy the, the grass and the water for the other ones, that's not the way God wants us to be. Might does not make right. And the strong have a responsibility to help those who are weak and struggling. And the promise is that there will be one shepherd for the flock. Verses 23 and 24, Ezekiel goes on to say, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them, and I am the Lord. I have spoken. My servant David. So here is a, a very strong, powerful messianic figure in the Old Testament that Jesus is living into. God will be our God, and Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And so we have the work of the good shepherd that is before us as well. You see, when Jesus saw people, Matthew 9, 36, uh, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When the sheep are scattered, when they stray, when they don't have anyone to gather them or guide them, in their fragility, they become easy prey. And Jesus has compassion on them when he sees people in that condition. And so he gathers the sheep. He goes and looks for the lost ones. You know the story of Matthew. Levi, the tax collector, and Jesus comes to him and says, come follow me. Matthew is in a terrible situation where he's at before Jesus calls him because he's a tax collector working for the Romans. He's been ostracized by his own people, cut off from them. His family has set a funeral for him. He no longer exists to them. And yet even though he has a relationship with the oppressors, with the Roman people, he doesn't really fit in there either. They're only using him. And so he's caught between two worlds and doesn't belong to any of them. And yet he has a sensitive heart for the things of God. That he's open and inquisitive. And Jesus comes and calls him and says, come follow me. See, Jesus is looking for the lost ones. And then there's Zacchaeus in Jericho, uh, another tax collector. You know the story how Jesus came and Zacchaeus wanted to see him and the crowd was too great and he climbed up into the tree. And when Jesus saw him there, he looked him in the eye, pointed his finger at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm headed to your house today to eat with you. And that meal was so impactful for Zacchaeus that he was able to repent and be restored because he too is a part of God's family. And you know the story of the woman at the well. As Jesus is traveling through Samaria, she comes at noon by herself to get water because her life is filled with shame and the town women probably ostracize her and criticize her and cast shame upon her. And she meets Jesus there, and they enter into a conversation. And and the bottom line is Jesus leads her through that conversation and shows him something of who he is. She runs back to the village and says, Come and see a man who told me everything about myself. Could he be the prophet? You see, Jesus is out finding the lost and bringing them back. And it doesn't matter where they live. Doesn't matter if they're Samaritans. Doesn't matter if they're outcasts. Jesus is going to find them. And Jesus is going to bring them home. Jesus is looking for the strays. Uh, the, the ones that are not too far away, but they're still out there on the edge. People like Simon and Andrew and James and John, Galilean fishermen just living their life, working on the the lake, catching fish, trying to make a living, trying to survive, and yet with a sensitive heart to the things of God and not expecting anything to happen in their life. And Jesus comes along and says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. People like Nicodemus, who are so impressed by Jesus that that he wants to come by night. He is a leader. He is grounded in the truth of Scripture, and yet when Jesus and he are conversing, it's as if Nicodemus doesn't know anything. 
And Jesus tries to lead him and draw him. And Nicodemus, for whatever reason, becomes a secret follower of Jesus. Not able to make it a declaration, but still wanting to be there. And Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, that also was a secret follower of Jesus, the one who lent Jesus his tomb, if you will, that Jesus might have a place to be buried from which he was raised from the dead. And Jesus is gathering in even Gentiles through his church, like Cornelius and Luke. And then there's that church at Antioch that sends missionaries around the world. God is gathering his people, the ones who know his voice and the ones who respond in faith. And Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who heals infirmities. This blind man that we see in John 9, it's Jesus that heals his eyes, that opens his eyes, that demonstrates God's power, that the opportunity is there, the venue is there for God's glory to shine, and Jesus takes that opportunity to do it and heals him. And then there's Simon's mother-in-law, who has been sick, and when Jesus comes to Simon's house to make that a beginning point of his teaching ministry, one of the first things that he does is give her healing. And then there's those 10 lepers that Jesus found, that found Jesus. And as they called out to him, Jesus had compassion on them. He touched them and healed them of their leprosy. And Jesus is the one who raises the dead. I, I don't know anything else that would be as sick as being dead. Everything is shut down. There's nothing there. There's no life present. And yet Jesus is able to call back even the dead to life as he raises Jairus' daughter from her bed, as he touches the widow of Nain's son on the funeral bier, as they're carrying to the grave, touches his hand and calls him back to life, as he calls out Lazarus four days in the tomb, and he comes back to life. Jesus is the one who gathers and heals infirmities and binds us up and draws us together. And Jesus is the one who provides for us. You know the stories of how Jesus fed on one occasion the 5,000, took the bread and the fish and multiplied them for the 5,000 men and their families, and then the feeding of the 4,000 the same way. Jesus provided for them. Maybe you uh, don't know this story, but there's a story about Jesus and Simon and fishing, and I, I find it to be very humorous. Uh, a temple tax collector came to Simon and basically said, Simon, you and your master need to pay the tax for the temple. Do, does he pay that? And Simon didn't know what to say. He went to Jesus and said, the tax man wants uh, the temple tax. What do we do? And, and Jesus asked him a question. Does the son of the king pay the tax? And Simon says, well, no, that, that's not the way things work in the world. And Jesus said, well, just so things are, are right, I want you to take your fishing pole and go down to the lake and throw in your line and catch a fish. And Peter did that, and when he brought the fish up, there was a shekel in the fish's mouth, enough for Simon to pay his tax and the tax that Jesus owed. And so the need was met in that way. I find that story funny and humorous and the um, very 
pointed that Jesus is concerned about the tiniest details of our life and that he wants to provide for us. You see, we, we need the shepherd in our life. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, if sheep are always looking for a way to die, that's the epitome of it, isn't it? That that, that is out there and we're always faced with it and we always seem to make the choices that are not so good. And yet, there is abundant life in Jesus you see, the, the truth of this passage is that the abundant life just doesn't happen to us, but that it comes in our relationship with Jesus as he is the good shepherd and tends us and cares for us. We discover that we have abandoned, abundant life in him when we allow him to gather us into his flock, that he values us for who we are that we become the recipient of his love and we receive provision for our needs and care and healing for our woundedness. When we are in that relationship with Jesus, he gives us abundant life because that's what the shepherd does. And when we place ourselves outside of the flock, when we go off by ourselves, that's when we are in uh, the most vulnerable, weakest place, isn't it? We're no longer under the care of the shepherd. Uh, we miss out on the life that he offers, and we discover that because we're isolated and alone, that we become easy prey for all the forces that are out there in the world. And we miss out on the life that he offers to us. Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who protects the sheep. Micah 5, 4 uh, comes in that passage that declares that the Messiah will be born at Bethlehem. And Micah goes on to say of this Messiah, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. You see, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's the ultimate act of salvation. That when the wolf comes, instead of running away, Jesus stands there on guard. That he lays down his life, ultimately. He doesn't want to drive away the wolf one time or a second time or a third time, but he wants to deal with the wolf completely and totally and utterly so that the wolf is no longer a problem at all. And so Jesus lays down his life for us that we might be saved and preserved and protected. Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the truth is God loves us through Jesus. And it doesn't matter where we've been or how far we've strayed or what kind of situation we're in, God loves us and is calling us and the shepherd is there to bring us together and give us what we need for life to defend us from those who would destroy and devour us. Giving his life to protect them is the highest expression of love. And Jesus says in God, um, John 15, 13 through 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
And so the good shepherd does more than just die for us. He actually takes up his life again in resurrection because that's what it's all about. The life of Jesus was not taken from him. We, we need to keep that in our mind. We can sometimes read the Gospels of how Jesus was arrested and Judas had betrayed him and he was handed over and they did terrible things to him and they ultimately put him on a cross and killed him. We, we can look at all of those events and we can think that Jesus was caught by surprise, that he was captured and that they, they mistreated him and that he died and, and that he was powerless in the midst of that. And if we read it that way, we're not reading well. Because the truth is that Jesus chose to be in that exact place. That he knew what was going to happen. That he chose to lay down his life for us. Because that was the Father's purpose and will. And that was the only way that we could find ultimate salvation. Was that if someone perfect would take our place and die for us. And Jesus did that. But thank God that's not the end of the story because not only does Jesus have the authority to lay down his life for us, he has the authority from the Father to take it up again. You see, that's resurrection. And that is the power that God has in Jesus. It's the ultimate proof of his relationship with the Father. Romans 1, 3, and 4, Paul's opening word to the Roman church, he writes this concerning Jesus, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. And praise God that Jesus is alive, that God raised him up, that he has life so that he can give us life. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who values God's people, who values you, who gathers us under his care, who lays down his life for us. I invite you to stand as your able worship team if you'd come up on the platform with me. You know, because you have experienced, what it's like to be alone, isolated, snared, trapped, about to be devoured, trying to win at life, just barely surviving, getting by on your wits and finding that it's difficult and challenging and sometimes not successful at all. And yet there is hope because Jesus is our shepherd. And this morning he is looking for you. He is searching for you. He's calling you by name. And his desire is that you would come to him, that you would cease your striving and simply allow him to gather you into his arms and bring you home. He wants to heal your woundedness. Oh, and he knows the depth of your pain. 
He knows how deep those cuts are. And he wants to put oil on them and heal you. And he knows what it is to be hungry, to thirst, to want. His desire is to lead you into green pastures where you can feast. To let you lie down by quiet streams so your soul can be restored. So you can be strengthened. So you can recognize that you belong and you're valued. Jesus wants you. Won't you say yes to him? Won't you let him draw you in? Heal your wounds. Give you life. That's the offer this morning. Let Jesus come to you where you're at. Be gathered. Come to him and find rest for your soul. Our congregation has been blessed by the Father. We have an abundance of life, of resource, of rest. We've been strengthened and healed. And yet Jesus has a word to us as well, that he's speaking to us, come, follow me. I didn't make you strong so that you just be strong. I made you strong so that you could follow me in service. Won't you say yes to Jesus? He's calling us to follow him, to do his work with him, to be filled so that his spirit can fill others. Let us say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving Father, we thank you that Jesus is here in our midst. That in tenderness, he is calling us, gathering us. That he longs to heal us and feed us. And Father, we say yes. We open our hearts to receive him, to receive his care, to place ourselves under his authority. And Father, we say yes to Jesus as he leads us, that we will follow, that we will do his work with him. And we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your love in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I've got some action steps for us this week. First of all, draw close to Jesus this week. Be gathered. Bring him your needs. Be strengthened. And then follow where he leads. Be provisioned.